you have your Bibles, turn to the little epistle of 1 John. That's right, almost right before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 2. We'll read two short verses, verses 28 and 29. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So far, the reading of God's word. Well, Harold's camping was right. Well, I surprised you with that. Herod camping was right. Jesus is coming again, and there is a day of judgment. But Harold camping was wrong. Oh, was he wrong. And the whole world knew he was wrong. And uh, I watched Channel 7 News. I watched Fox News. I watched CNN. They were all stirring the pot about all of this. And I explained to you last week, as John was talking about uh, the Antichrist that rise up, I explained to you the faulty hermeneutics, that is, the principles of interpretation of the Bible, the faulty hermeneutics that he was using to find secret, hidden, uh, mysterious clues using numbers to predict the end of the world. And tragically, and in a way that causes the sophisticated, fashionable skeptics to mock Christianity, he gave them even more ammunition, I am afraid. Some people made some money off of it. I read about the guy who sold insurance policies to pet owners, who uh, he guaranteed that uh, he would take care of your pet for the next 10 years if you gave him $135, uh, no refunds. He made a lot of money on that. But our passage today, interestingly enough, in God's Providence North Shore Community Church, continues to speak about what is called the appearing and then the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of days. I think that's great timing on the Holy Spirit's part to bring us here because John, Pastor John, this good pastor, he wants his people to be steadfast in the faith, not to give up, not to run away, not to become cold. He wants them to be steadfast in the faith. And one of the ways that he does it is he reminds them that the Lord is coming again. And he reminds them this in order to give them hope in the struggles of life. That's right. First, to just give them hope in the struggles of life. And then secondly, to keep them on the right track, faithful and steadfast, so that they are confident and not ashamed when Jesus comes again. We've just seen 15 people stand and say they want to live in humble reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit, to live as become the followers of Christ. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want for us. And I know that's what you want. So let's look at three points from this text, three simple points that jump off the page at us that will help us as a church family. And the first one is this, John says, Continue in him, dear children. 
In the previous verse we looked at, he says, uh, he says, continue in him. And now he says it again. The King James translates it, abide in him. And some of you are familiar with that translation. Remain in this vital living relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't stop, but continue. Continue on. You see, when a baby is born, yesterday I visited the Keenans, Quinn Alexander Keenan, born in our church. Just adorable little guy. But when a baby is born, they don't stay a baby. They grow. They continue to grow. When a person is baptized into the church of Jesus Christ, they're signifying the washing and new birth, but you don't stop right there. You continue to grow. And so John says it very clearly. If you're going to understand what Christianity is all about, it's about this. Remaining, continuing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It began in that regeneration, in that new life, when you were born again and made new in Him. But it continues on. And one thing I hope you love about our church is we have so many young people. It's great to have young people. And we have babies. Our nursery downstairs is full of babies, and that's fantastic. But we also have many senior citizens. And aren't you grateful for the senior citizens of this church? I am. These are people who have continued in Jesus for years and years. And they mark for us that path. What about you? Will that be said of you when you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s? This was someone who continued in Christ. Continue in Him. How do you understand this? Well, if you like grammar, you school teachers, grammar, this word continue or remain is in what's called the present imperative. It's not the past tense. You were once in Him. It's an imperative. What's that word? That means it's a command. So we should take it seriously. It's a command, and then it's in the present tense. It's the continuing present. It doesn't stop. It doesn't cease. It's not a one point in time. Okay? So here's John speaking the present imperative. Continue on in him all the rest of your days. I read about a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old who were talking about this with their Sunday school teacher. And this little girl, her name was Fayette, she said... Continuing in him means you need to stay with Jesus and listen to him. I thought that was pretty good. And this seven-year-old boy says, he loves us all and wants all his people to stick to him. Like Velcro. He wants, us to, he wants sticky people, people who are stuck on Jesus Christ. And the third little guy, his name was Peyton, he said, look, Jesus said you can't have grapes without a grapevine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear those words of our Lord? We need to continue, remain. You can't have apples without an apple tree. You can't have grapes unless they are connected to the vine. So very practically, how do you do that? And what do we say to these people who joined, the, joined our congregation? 
How do you do it practically to remain in him? I'll tell you one thing that's really important. It's this. Remain in the church. Be in the church. Participate in the church. Pray for the church. Give yourself to her. Because if the church is in your weekly and midweekly rhythms, you are being confronted again with the body of Christ and the people of God who are modeling for you and encouraging you what we call the three C's of the church. You are going to celebrate the Lord. We are a worshiping church. You're going to communicate the Lord. We are a missional church. Listen carefully. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What did he mean by that? He meant that anyone who is vitally connected to Jesus Christ is going to be a witness for Jesus. You know, I, I'll talk to people occasionally and they will say something like this. Oh, my, my religion is a very private thing. Well, I know what they mean. I, I really, I understand. What they're saying is, my religion touches me at the deepest part of my existence, who I am, and, and that's a good thing. But when people usually say, my religion is a very private thing, what they mean is, I don't want to talk about it, and I don't want anybody to know, and I'm a secret, I'm a secret agent. For G and, and, well, you just can't do that. You have to be on board in his mission. He's brought you into his mission. So you're either a missionary or an imposter. So we celebrate, we communicate, and then we cultivate the life of Christ together. We are disciple makers together. And we need each other to do that. You can't do it on your own. You abide in the church. You abide in the word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in John 5, 39, when he's wrestling with the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees, they were the guys who knew the Bible, but they missed Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, you study the scriptures. But listen, study the scriptures because they testify of me. And Jesus was not arrogant. He was not an egomaniac. It's just that he was the Messiah. And as you study through the scriptures, they point, all the Old Testament points forward to him. All of the New Testament points back to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit points back to him. And so you remain in the scriptures. You remain in the church. And then you walk in the Holy Spirit. You remain in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. How do you do that? When you get up in the morning, you meet the Lord. You say, good morning, Lord. Some of you say, good Lord, morning. Right? Uh, no, 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 not that way. When your feet hit the ground, you say, good morning, Lord. This is the day you've made. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then you say, Lord, I present myself to you. I'm a leaky bucket. Fill me up with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And you go around leaking all day and just spreading the spirit of God, the love of the Father. presence of. But you need the spirit of Jesus Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, he ascended on heaven. And then at Pentecost, he became that life-giving spirit. Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, can, is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Father. Three persons in one God poured out, and he will fill you. So... Continue in him. Now, somebody's going to say, yeah, pastor, I know, I know, but 
What difference really does it make whether or not I abide in Christ? What difference does it make? And he goes on in point number two to explain the difference. So that, verse, second half of verse 28, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And so here's what he does. He wants to strengthen us and encourage us to remain in Jesus every day by reminding us that the Lord is, in fact, coming again. And that should excite us. Now, as much as the world has mocked what has just happened in our culture, this unfortunate prediction that uh, should not have been made, nonetheless, if you met any of those people, one of the things that was inspired in their hearts was a desire, an anticipation to meet the Lord. And they had a longing for it. And I will say to any skeptic who comes up and, and mocks that, I will say to them, well, let's at least admire the fact that these people know that there is a climax to history and that Christ is coming again. Let's at least give them that because if you don't believe that, you are mistaken. I say it humbly. I say it great, graciously. But the fact that Jesus didn't come yesterday doesn't mean that he's not coming at all. The timing is uncertain. But John says it twice. He says there will be an appearing. And that word appearing literally means going from invisible to visible. And the Bible says every eye will see him. Every eye. Every eye will see him. And then uh, the second word used to describe this event is the coming. It's this, you may have heard it. It's the Greek word parousia which was used to describe when a king would visit a town under his dominion and when the crowds would turn out to see the king and the crowds couldn't wait to see their ruler, the one that they loved, the one that was, was precious to them. And do you remember a few weeks ago as tens of thousands of people assemble at Buckingham Palace? And why did they assemble in Buckingham Palace that day? Because that was a day of rejoicing. That was a day when they stood watching the balcony. And do you remember? They stood some for hours, waiting for the doors of the balcony to open. And out comes their future king and his beautiful bride. And as they came, there started a, a ripple, and then applause, and then a roar among the subjects out to meet their monarch, their king, who come, had come to greet them. And this, my friends, is what it is to be like for Christians. John says you want to remain in him because you anticipate and long for his appearing. Don't forget this. John saw him depart. Do you remember that? John saw him depart at his ascension into heaven in glory. John saw him on the mountain of transfiguration when Christ, for that brief moment, had his glory unveiled. And the Shekinah glory came upon Jesus Christ for that moment for Peter, James, and John to behold. He said, we beheld his glory. And John now anticipates him coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Paul puts it like this. Paul says, no eye has seen 
No ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived the glorious things that he has prepared for his people. And that is where true fulfillment of soul comes from. Some of us, some of us think, I will be fulfilled if I get that next promotion. I will be fulfilled if I get that house. I will be fulfilled if I get that husband or that wife. A man named Craig Barnes wrote a book entitled Yearnings, Yearnings. And he writes so beautifully about the fact that all of our yearnings that are real in our souls, these deep longings in our souls, are ultimately the longing for heaven, longing for the newness and the perfection of heaven itself that will be ours. As Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you, would not have told you so if it wasn't true. And he says, I will take you home to be where I am. Every longing for fulfillment is ultimately settled there in heaven with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The Apostle Paul says, listen carefully to 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Are you one of those all who have longed for his appearing? And down in Titus chapter 2, he says to his disciple Titus, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we will be unashamed at his coming. Now, some of us will die, perhaps, before Jesus comes again. Maybe all of us, if he waits another thousand years. Who knows? Others of us may be alive when he comes again. But how do you feel about meeting him when he raises you from the grave or you meet him when he comes again? How will you feel? Some of you are old enough to remember the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church named Stephen Alford down in Manhattan, a great preacher. I, I once heard him speak 30 years ago. And his brother had nothing to do with the Lord for many years of his life, but he came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in his last months of his life. Stephen Olford gets a call from the doctor. Your brother is in the hospital. He's doing badly, but even more, he's doing badly physically. Even more, he's very disturbed emotionally. I think you should come see him. So Stephen Olford says, I came and I walked into my brother's room and I said to him, Oh, Richard, Richard, I want you to know you're saved. And even though you have a terminal illness and though you're going to die, you're saved and you're going to heaven when you die and you don't have to be afraid to die. And Richard said, oh, Stephen, you don't understand. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. It's not that I'm afraid to die. He said, I'm ashamed to die. 
I am ashamed to die because I have wasted my life that could have been used for the Lord. And that's why John says, and why I say to you, continue in him. Remain in him. Building up his church laying up His Word in your soul, walking in His Holy Spirit so that you can be confident and unashamed in that great day. And the last thing, very briefly, he turns the corner, and Martin will pick up on this next week. But he says, if you know that He is righteous, that's because you know Him and you know His Word and you're in His church and you're walking in His Spirit, you know that everyone who does right has been born of Him. And this new idea is introduced in this book for the very first time. It's the idea of spiritual birth. And he says, if you belong to God, you need to start looking like God, and the family resemblance needs to be yours. You know, family resemblance. Anybody know who this is? This is my wife, Nina, one and a half years old with her pet bear, Growly. This is my wife, Nina. This is my granddaughter, Evelyn. And if, if, my friends, we turn the profile sideways, they are the spitting image of each other. There is an amazing family resemblance between Evelyn and Nina. I treasure that. And maybe in your family, there's not just a family resemblance physically, but, but then, you know, when, when, a, when a boy walks like his dad, you know, and when he carries his fishing rod like his dad, you see, there's the family resemblance. And, and that's a beautiful thing. You resemble your heavenly father. <laughs> we said to the kids in the class, we said, what does it mean that you have this resemblance to your heavenly father? And we said, well, let's, let's talk turkey. Kids, you remember this? Let's say it's after school, you just finished soccer practice, and you're starving. And your buddy and you go into the 7-Eleven because you're so hungry and you look at him and he has no money and he looks at you and your pockets are empty. And your pal says to you, listen, I'm going to go distract the cashier. You go over to the Kit Kat aisle and you get about four or five Kit Kats and you slide them into your pocket. Then you walk outside and I'll meet you afterwards out there. What are you going to do? Now, they're with the pastor. You know, the pastor's asking them this question. Oh, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why wouldn't you do it? Why not? Oh, I might get caught. I'll get in trouble. Yeah, that's, that's the initial reaction. Why wouldn't you do it? One of them says, because God isn't that way. That's the right answer. God's not that way. And I belong to God. And then I said, and your buddy turns to you and says, you're chicken. You're chicken. Everybody does it. Come on. What will you say? And they all knew the answer. I'll say no thanks because I belong to him. And that's the right answer. The family resemblance, you see. So, we come now to the Lord's table. And for some of you, this is the first time you will take communion. And what I want you to do during this time, 
is to ask him to enable you to continue to remain in him for years and years and years you will take communion you will be remaining in him as we have the Lord's Supper as we worship together and you ask him to grow that family resemblance in you would you do that let's pray our father we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who was the perfect family resemblance of the Heavenly Father and if we want to know the Father we need to know you we pray that now Lord as we eat this piece of matzah as we partake of this fruit of the grape and it will taste like matzah and it will taste like grape but but we pray that it will remind us of the body of our Messiah broken for us and the spiritual nourishment and bread from heaven that is ours as the church of Jesus. We thank you for this cup of the new covenant, the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah. The new covenant that would come would be made with all the children of Abraham who by faith come for the forgiveness of sins. And how we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Make that precious to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took...